0: On one of the first trips I took down to the Central American country of Honduras, I was driving with a pastor friend of mine and we were approaching a city called El Progreso. And my friend happened to mention to me that there was a family that used to attend the church here in Morgantown that now lived in El Progreso. And I was surprised by that, because this particular town was actually, it was quite large and quite dangerous, that was the reputation, and I knew that this family had left about five years earlier, and I was just surprised that that's where they landed. And I asked him, "Uh, is it close where they live? And he said, well, yes, they live about two blocks off of this main road. I mean, you can actually see their place from the road. And I said, well, could we stop and say hi to them? And he said, sure. And so we pulled over on the street there and parked the car, went up to the door and knocked and the door opened and if I could capture the expression on this woman's face when she opened the door, it was just classic, just priceless. Her eyes got so big, she didn't know I was in the country and the the thought that I'd be standing there on on her porch, she just could not believe it. And then when she got over the shock of it, she suddenly became kind of, concerned about the way she looked. My hair, you know, it just occurred to her, like, what do I look like, you know? And, and, and I, if I knew you were coming, I would've fixed my hair, and then she realized, well, what am I wearing here? And then it, 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 she looked down and realized, you know, I was gonna do laundry today, she said. You know, starting to make excuses for things, and she looked fine, everything was fine, and then, and then she thought of the house. It's like, well, the house isn't as clean as it would be if I knew that you were coming. If only you told me you were coming. And then, and then she realized that she really didn't have anything to offer us as company. You know, in and, and some of these Central American countries, hospitality is such a big deal. And she realized she really didn't have anything. She said, I was going to go to the grocery today. I've got these cookies, but they're not very good. And... It was all fine, but but she was just so self-conscious about everything. And then at a certain point, her husband had come down in the meantime and we'd been talking, but she was, at a certain point, she she just reflected for a moment about something that I thought was very insightful, very uh, spiritual. She said, "Um, this is the way it's going to be when Jesus comes back, isn't it? I mean, like, we won't know the day or the hour. He'll just show up. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. And then she said, I guess we always need to be ready. And I said, that's exactly right. Today we're gonna cover a subject that some of you maybe have not heard much about over the years from whatever your church experience is. I wanna talk about the return of Christ. As Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ is going to return physically and rule on this earth, he's coming back again. He went up to heaven, we believe he's coming back again. Now, this idea that Jesus is gonna come, or the Messiah is gonna come and rule on the earth is not strictly a Christian idea. This idea is found throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, there are hundreds, if not thousands of references that talk about how God was gonna send a a ruler, a Messiah, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of King David, who's gonna rule in Jerusalem in a real kingdom, and there'll be peace, and his kingdom will last forever and ever. And the Jewish nation is still looking for that Messiah. We believe it was Jesus. But for 4,000 years, they were waiting for their Messiah. Jesus shows up, and they didn't recognize him as the Messiah. But toward the end of Jesus' ministry, his closest friends, his disciples did. They understood that he was claiming to be the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies that he was gonna reign over a kingdom forever and ever. But toward the end of Jesus' ministry, he said something that I think set them back just a little bit. He and his disciples were walking in Jerusalem, they passed the temple, which was a beautiful, beautiful building, a reconstruction by King Herod of the original Solomon's temple, and it was just gorgeous, and the disciples were even commenting about the big foundation stones and how gorgeous the temple was, and then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, in the days ahead, not one stone will be on another. In other words, the entire temple will be destroyed. Now, I believe that this really sent them in a tailspin because Jesus' close friends, his disciples, believed he was this king, this ruling Messiah, and they expected that he was gonna set up the kingdom immediately, and it was gonna be an eternal kingdom, and it was be the kingdom where he'd win over everything, and yet Jesus is describing the destruction of this amazing temple. And I think it was the first time they understood, hey, we might have this thing wrong. I mean, when's this gonna happen? A little after this happened, they pulled Jesus aside. We read about it in Matthew 24 and verse three. It says, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When, when is it gonna be that you're gonna rule? Because they expected to be ruling right with them. They expected it would happen immediately. Of course, they knew nothing of the cross that was coming. They didn't know anything about the resurrection of Christ or the fact that he was gonna be returning up to heaven, and they would certainly have had no idea that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this. But Jesus made it very clear that he was coming back and in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus laid out some of the signs of the times, when he's gonna be coming back, when he's gonna be establishing his kingdom. Now, this is something, again, that Jesus said on several occasions. And one of the occasions where Jesus said, or where we learned that this is supposed to happen is in Acts chapter one. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we have a scene where Jesus is with his closest friends again, plus about 500 other people on a mountain. This was the last time that they would see him before he would return. Jesus had said, meet me in this place. 40 days had passed after the resurrection, and they were on this mountain, and Jesus gave the disciples their marching orders, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then all of a sudden, he began ascending into heaven. He was returning to his Father. He'd come from heaven, now he's going back. And they're all looking up, and and the question still hasn't been answered, like, when were you coming back? This story is found again in Acts 1, beginning in verse 10. It says, while he was going, Jesus was going up into heaven, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them, he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So everybody was looking up. Two angels appear, they appear to be like men, and they say, why are you all looking up? In other words, don't fix your attention there. He's coming back, oh, don't worry. He's coming back in exactly the same way. He's gonna come from heaven. It's gonna be the same Jesus. He's gonna come in physical form. He's coming back to the earth. But it happened almost 2,000 years ago. Now, there are some reasons why I'm convinced that we are close to the end times. And I realize even talking about this subject freaks some people out. Like, give me a sign that says the end is near and put me on a street corner in Chicago. You know, it's like like weirdo stuff, you know? But this is what Jesus said, I'm coming back. And there are some reasons, just from a logical perspective, I think it'll be soon. For example, um, I believe that Humanity has been on this planet for about 6,000 years, starting with Adam and moving on. And the the reason you arrive at about 6,000 years is that if you take Adam and Eve and how long they lived and how long their kids lived and their kids' kids and kids' kids, you add them all up, you end up with about 6,000 years of human history since Adam and Eve. But for 5,800 of those years, the world's been the same. You realize that if you had been born in 2000 BC or 4000 BC or, or, or 400 AD or whatever else, the world would have been the same place, basically. The world was the same. There's an agrarian world. People did farming. If you needed to see at night, you had to, to light a fire. If you needed to cook, you used a fire. And then about 200 years ago, the world began to change. At first, it wasn't real dramatic. Electricity, cars. And now it's exponential, it's exponential. This is a different world. You could have gone for 5800 years and you could have plopped anywhere in that time and not freaked out, but you take anyone during that time and plop them into today and they go, where am I, how'd they get that guy in the box? It's a different world and it's exponential. It's going faster, faster, faster. Daniel prophesied this by the way. Technology you know, would increase. He didn't use the word technology, but people come and go. Things are gonna be speeding up, and it's happening. But also, I think from a logical perspective, it's just a theory of mine, that six is the number of humanity. People were created on the sixth day and in, in biblical number calculations, numerology, six is the number of humanity, seven is the divine number, it's the number of God. It's possible that it's quite as literal as this, that God's gonna give us 6,000 years, and then the seventh millennium, he will reign. It could be that simple. But we're gonna look at some signs in a moment. But let's bring us up to date in this series. This is called The Story of Us. It's the the story of God's intersection with humanity throughout all of the Bible. 4,000 years of biblical recorded history. We talked about God's purpose for creating people was to have a relationship with us. That's why we exist to know God. I hope you know that, that's why you were made, to know God and, and this is why it's so important we connect people, reconcile people with their creator. Then we talked about the problem that came in sin, it ruined everything. And then we talked about God's plan. God came up with a plan to send his son to die in our place and for our sin, to pay the full penalty for everything we've done wrong so that our relationship with our creator could be restored. And and then we talked about Jesus being the promised one and why it was absolutely essential that Jesus be who Jesus was, the Son of God and God the Son, and that he die on the cross. It was essential. It's the only way we could be made right with God, the death and resurrection of Jesus and faith in him. And then last week, Josh talked about the people of God, how Jesus went up into heaven, but we are now the body of Christ in the world. Of course, all of history centers around this Jesus figure, and we're the body of Christ. We're his hands, we're his feet, and we're his mouth in this world. Today, I want to talk about the physical return of Christ, and then that next week, I want to conclude the series talking about paradise. Everybody will spend an eternity somewhere according to the Bible, that's next week. But today I wanna talk about this return of Christ. Now in a general sense, the coming of Jesus Christ back to this earth is gonna be very similar to the way it was in Noah's day. We read this in Matthew 24, 36 to 39, part of Jesus' answer to his disciples. We read, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, except the Father only. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. So this is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be." Let me draw some conclusions from this analogy between our time and Noah's day. First of all, most people were not aware of it. It caught them by surprise. People were busy doing their stuff, eating, drinking, getting married, going on like life has always been, and then they were caught off guard. And that's how it's gonna be in the last days. People will not see that that's what it is unless you're a believer in Christ. Second, I wanna note that we can't know the day or the hour, at least yet. We don't know the day or the hour. So these groups that go out there saying, Jesus is coming back on this day, and they don't know. About a year ago or two years ago, there was a, a bus I saw parked at the gas station near the church here, the BP station there, and, and the bus said, Jesus is coming back, and it had the date, it's like August 27th, 2017, whatever it was, but the exact date was there. And I thought, good luck with that. I mean, they're driving all over the country trying to tell everybody it's gonna be on this particular day. How they arrived at that, I don't know. I don't know how they did, but the day did come and go and they probably had to sell the bus. (laughs) We don't know the day or the hour. And then third, I think Jesus used this analogy with Noah to make this point, because he could have picked any other generation, but he picked this point to say that as believers in Christ, we're gonna be spared the judgment to come if we put our trust in Christ. Noah was put in the ark, the ark was sealed, then the judgment came. We believe Jesus is coming back for two things. Number one, he's coming back to judge the world, and second, he's coming back to reign. So when is it gonna happen? Well, there are signs found throughout the New Testament and the Old that talk about this. I wanna look at five of them. I actually started with 10, and I'm sparing you. five. First one is this. There'll be an increase in the number of false religions and messiahs. This was the first thing Jesus said in response to the question, when's it gonna happen? Matthew 24, four and five, we read, then Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah, and they'll deceive many. False messiahs, skipping to verse 24, false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. One of the things Jesus was getting at here is that we cannot assume that if something is miraculous, it's necessarily of God. In the last days, there's gonna be an increase in the number of religions and messiahs and prophets making claims, I believe, in the last days, although I can't develop why I believe it, but in the last days, I think there'll be an increase in the miraculous from God, mostly to reignite the Jewish nation, but there'll also be counterfeits out there, and this is the problem. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. That's what Jesus claimed. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But the devil doesn't want people to grab a hold of that, and so he's always coming up with counterfeits, trying to steer people this way and that way, this way and that way, everything but finding the truth in Christ. Paul put it this way in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. He said, now the Spirit explicitly says not implicitly, explicitly says, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. There'll be these people who don't have a conscience anymore and all they're gonna do is try to get followers after themselves, making promises. Their heart is not right and people will be deceived. He's saying, don't, don't fall for it, don't fall for it. The second sign of the times is gonna be man-made and natural disasters. I put war in the category of man-made disasters. In Matthew 24, six through eight, Jesus continued, you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For kingdom will rise against kingdom and, or nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. One translation adds pestilences. All these are the beginning of birth pains. I'm convinced as we get closer to the return of Christ, things are not gonna become more peaceful. They're going to become less peaceful. You're gonna be hearing more and more of wars and rumors of wars. You're also gonna be hearing more and more about things like earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, famines, pestilence, all these things. Jesus likened this to birth pains. I was present at the birth of all five of my children. I'm so thankful I didn't, I was present but didn't have to do it. It's hard watching, even, it's just hard. But the birth pains, and I, I can't even relate to it, so I, I the birth pains, every time, there are two things that happened as we got closer to the birth of the child, before the baby was about to come out, what, what happens? The pains came more frequent and they grew in intensity. Those were the two descriptions As you get closer, you know, when you first, when you first have the, the contractions, it might be a couple hours apart. I don't remember. I didn't go through it, thankfully. And it wasn't that bad. It's like, I think I'm having a contraction. But then as you got closer, suddenly it was a, an hour apart and they were getting stronger and stronger. When you get toward the end, it's like one big contraction. It's like, this might be it, I don't know, you know. It's just painful to watch this thing. This is the analogy Jesus used to describe about the wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and earthquakes. We have to understand something about the way God made this world. It wasn't made to last forever, I don't think. Or maybe it was initially, but sin ruined it all, I don't know. Isaiah describes how the world is gonna wear out like a garment. It's gonna wear out like a garment. You know, you wear a garment long enough and it gets threadbare eventually. It gets old, it begins to tear, things begin to happen. That's the description used of the world, the planet in which we live. And so I think we'd like to think that perhaps we can fix the things that are starting to go wrong, which you don't have to hardly see to realize a lot of stuff's happening. Is it not? I mean, am I the only one that sees? It's like all over the place, stuff is happening. I know we have more access to the pictures of it, but it's, in, it's increasing in intensity. It's gonna wear out. Now the good news is what John wrote about and others in the New Testament wrote about, but John wrote about it in Revelation 21 and verse one. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. God's gonna give us a new place. A new heaven, a new earth, a place where we can dwell forever with our God. But things are gonna get worse before they can get better. A third sign of the times is world unification. There are prophecies in both the Old and New Testament, hundreds of them, that describe a fact that there's gonna be, in the end times, a world leader that's gonna arise, that's gonna unite the world and demand worship. It's somebody that's gonna claim he's God. Now, we might look at this from where we're sitting and think who'd follow somebody that claims to be God, but there's gonna be some things around it that's you know, f- cause most of the world to conclude this person is divine. Daniel wrote about this, Paul wrote about it, and John wrote about it in Revelation, and there are all kinds of details about this person and what the world will be like that will introduce this person. It'll be a world in which there'll be 10 nations that will unite together as one. They'll be run by this person who will eventually use his influence to take control of the world. Now if you think that could never happen, it's happened before. I think the very first world government was probably the Tower of Babel when they were all building a tower up to heaven saying, we don't need God. The second was Babylon. And in the book of Revelation, we read about a revived Babylon. It's, it's a world that wants to get rid of God. And, and again, he's gonna claim to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, Paul said he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's sanctuary publicizing that he himself is God. Revelation 13, 16 and 17, he's gonna require everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. The purpose of the mark is to prove your loyalty to this leader. Anyone that refuses to get the mark is basically saying, I'm not gonna subject myself to this. You'll become an instant enemy of the state. And so this is how they're gonna control the population in the end days. Now, a lot of Christian theologians believe we'll be gone by this time, so we won't see it anyway. Others believe that we'll at least see the introduction of this leader before the Lord takes us to be with him. But it's coming, and you look around and you realize we're becoming one world again. Technologically, financially, whatever happens, it's amazing, whatever happens in Venezuela impacts our stock market. You know, whatever happens in Korea, it impacts our stock market. Whatever happens here impacts everywhere. Everything, it's all connected. Morals are becoming one moral because of technology. This thing called the internet and TV and everything else, the whole world is one. Everyone's starting to dress alike, we're looking alike, we have the same convictions about things, country after country, about morals, is deciding certain things are right, certain things are wrong, and we're becoming united in all these things. Fourth sign of the times is moral and social deterioration. The apostle Paul wrote to a leader, Timothy, who was his son in the faith in in 2 Timothy 3, one through five, a description of what it's gonna be like in the last days. As I read the, the, the description, I want to ask you to consider, first of all, is it like this today? Second, is it getting worse? And maybe third, has it always been like this or is this changing? Okay, is it like this? Paul wrote, 2, Thessalonians, or 2 Timothy 3, one through five, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. You just can't, they they just won't change. Slanderers. Without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. Be careful you don't get swept up in it, too, is what he's saying there. That's what it's gonna be like in the last days. As I read it, I think, oh, I remember that. No, that just happened. This thing over here just happened. There's some people that have this idea that things are gonna get better, and then we'll usher in the return of Christ. There's some theologians that have that idea that when we get everything fixed on this planet and we create this kind of utopian type thing where we're finally at peace and we're treating the planet properly and all these other things are happening, then it's gonna usher in the return of Christ. I look at these verses and say, no, it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get bad, difficult times in the last days. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 24, 12. He said, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. It's gonna be hard to even love. We're gonna become so cynical because of the lawlessness, it's just gonna be hard to even show love. The last sign that I wanna address here today is the only positive sign, and that's the worldwide spread of the good news or the gospel. I think this is the final sign I think when the last person has had a chance to respond to the good news or the gospel, when the last one says yes to Jesus, that's it. That's the end of the story, he's coming back. In Matthew 24 and verse 14 we read, this good news or the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. God is gonna give the world a final chance. He's gonna send people out and spread the good news to the whole world, to every tribe and tongue and nation. He's gonna try to get that message out all over the place so that everyone has a chance to respond before the judgment comes. In 2 Peter chapter three, verses three and four, we discover that this is why Jesus is even waiting to come back. Verse three, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff, living according to their own desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Skipping to verse nine. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. It seems like it's taking a long time to come back and God's response is because I want to give you time. I want to give you time to believe. I want to give time for the gospel to spread. I want people to be reached for Christ as many as possible. By the way, a major Christian group, that's all I want to say about it, just announced this past week, I just read it in the paper this past week, that uh, they, they don't believe Jesus is coming back. he's not coming back. We've decided he's not coming back, and I immediately thought of this verse. In the last days, they'll say, yeah, everyone's been saying he's gonna come back, and and he's not here yet, right? And he's not, yeah, I said, thanks for the fulfillment. It's just happening. Magazine called Mission Frontiers Magazine noted, and I don't know where they get their statistics, but they noted that in AD 100, the number of people with the classification Christian there were 360 of them to every non-Christian. 360, I'm sorry, 360 unbelievers to one believer. That was the ratio. In the year 81,000, it was 220 to one. In the year 1500, it was 69 to one. In the year 1900, it was 27 to one. In the year 1930, it was 21 to one. In the year 1980, it was 11 to one. In the year 1990, it was 7 to to one, and I don't have the new statistics, but there are over two billion people that come under the umbrella of Christianity. You can do the math and you realize that's, that's a four to one or so ratio now. The gospel's going out. I understand that there are about 23, 2400 unreached people groups in the world. I mean, I'm talking about the last people on the planet that haven't heard the name Jesus. We're talking about a little tribe over here of 50 people. There are about 2,300, 2,400 of those groups and a Christian organization has adopted every one of them. A, A group has said, I'll take that one, we'll take this one, the time is near. Of course, the internet's helping with this as well. What do we do with this? Well, we've looked at five signs of the times, false religions and messiahs, man-made and natural disasters, unification of the world, the deterioration of our morals and society and the gospel spread. What do we do with this? Well, if you're a believer in Christ, there are lots of things that we should be doing with this. And I wanna tell you what they are. But I wanna warn you ahead of time that it'll sound like we're gonna start another sermon. We'll be done in two minutes. Okay, you ready? I mean, put on your seat belts here, but there are lots of verses about this. This should have been three messages, okay? Number one, stay close to Christ. First John 2, 28, so now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Some Christians will be ashamed. Oh, game! I wasn't expecting him. How's my hair? Be holy. Second Peter 3, 11 and 12, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. Watch how you live your life. Third, serve Christ. John 9 and verse four says, night is coming when no one can work anymore. This is our time just to get the gospel out. That's why we're so intent on it here. Next, be alert, Matthew 25, 13. Therefore, be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. So keep this in front of your mind. Jesus is coming back. need to be awake for this thing. Next, pray, 1 Peter 4, 7. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Spread the gospel. Daniel 12 and verse 3, Old Testament. He was talking about the return of the Messiah. He said, those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. When he comes back, those who have been responsible to lead many people to righteousness are gonna shine. And finally, stand firm. Don't give up, don't panic. James wrote in James five, seven and eight, you also must be patient, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. If you know something is, gonna happen soon, even if it's tough, you can persevere, that's what James is saying. If you're running a race and you're on the last mile, and it's like 21 miles or so, you're running that last mile, you say it's only one more mile, I can't, it's really, really hard, but I can do it, I see the end, I see the finish line. That's what he's saying, do, keep your eyes on the finish line. Now, the response for those of you that maybe don't know where you stand with God is to put your trust in Jesus to be your savior because he's gonna call us to himself before he judges this world. And if you wanna know more about that, we'll have some people up at the front at the end that could explain how to begin a relationship with God or we can offer you a free booklet out in the next steps area there. Ask for that free booklet that explains how to get right with God. And finally, if you want all these references, they're on the Version app. Under Chestnut Ridge Church, you can get a hold of all the references. I know it's been a lot or you may wanna re listen to this because I feel like I've given you a few verses to think about. Let's pray. Father, I just, uh, I'm grateful that you've revealed to us through your word what's going to happen in the days ahead. Thank you that we don't have to be afraid. And in many ways, as we see some of these things unfolding, we celebrate it because we can't wait f- to see Jesus again. Our hope is fixed on him. We look forward to his return. And I pray if any don't know him today, that they'd come to faith in Jesus Christ even this afternoon. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.